Don't miss the Rich Eisen Show following Pritch and Clay weekday mornings at 10 here on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM, KRLB AM Las Vegas. Broadcasting live from the RNR studios in Las Vegas, Nevada, it's the premier destination for an inside look into the Las Vegas Raiders. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, presented by Tequila Embajador. Without being a hater or you know anti this or, or anti that that's that's you know when we talk about communication there it is right there you know you can't say anything uh, in a disagreeable way without disliking somebody or hating on this guy or hating on that guy we need to get away from that and I know Devon was just having a little bit of fun but that's truly the position that a lot of people sometimes take when you're just trying to... It was like the other... Remember uh, earlier in January when, when I was talking to Mike Mayock and he was talking about, well, you know, Henry Ruggs needs to do this, this, and this, and uh, Damon Arnett needs to do this, this, and this. And everyone, you know, took it as... He threw him under the bus and he's criticizing him and he's, he's, he's you know, calling them out. And, and, and the reality is, no, that's pretty typical for a rookie going into their second year. Need to work on that. Not everyone. I mean, like Justin Jefferson is pretty much the perfect wide receiver right now. And he's tremendous. But not everyone, you know, just gets it right off the bat. Most players, including I'm sure Justin Jefferson, there's probably, if you talk to the Vikings coaches, there's some things that they need, they feel like he needs to work on. But most cases, 99% of them, okay, this is what you need to, this is your to-do list in the off-season. It's very frank, it's very open, it's very upfront and honest, and, you know, it's not a criticism, it's just the reality of the situation. So when I say, J.C. Treader, hey man, you're on the wrong path, and participation around the NFL is showing you that, it's not because I dislike J.C. Treader, I don't even know J.C. Treader, I'm just saying his position was wrong and is wrong on multiple levels. And I think his, the players that he rep, helps represent are sending him that message in a major, major way right now. And I, I, I like it uh, because I, I'm encouraged that players are understanding. I could think for myself, number one. Number two, I need this time in OTAs for all sorts uh, of reasons. We're going to go out to the Raider Nation guest line to welcome in our good friend, uh, Q Myers. You could follow him at your boy Q254. All right, Q. We're on this whole, um, you know, uh, OTA thing. First of all, thank you for uh, spending some time with uh, us in the huddle. Hope everything is, is, is well with you. Um, but we're talking about how participation is way up, not surprisingly, across the league in spite of the votes by all these various teams a month or so ago at the urging of the union, at the urging of J.C. Treader, the president of the union, to boycott the in-person um, on-field aspect of OTAs. Number one, are you are you surprised that pl- the players themselves are essentially, you know, telling their union, "We got this. Thanks, but no thanks." I, I wouldn't say that I'm really surprised. And thank you so much for having me on, man. I always appreciate being on with you guys. I'm not surprised that they're doing that. I'm more relieved that they're doing that. And, yeah. and, and there's multiple reasons why I'm relieved, and one of them is. We saw what happened with Jawan James in Denver. We saw he tears his Achilles while he's working out on his own, and who knows what's going to happen. And I'm all for players getting as much money as possible, so I wouldn't want them to jeopardize that. That has to go with the veterans. But I'm 
I'm really relieved that when J.C. Treader and company tried to urge the rookies not to show up, I mean, how are you going to tell a third, fourth, or fifth-round rookie, hey, by the way, don't show up? You know what I mean? And it's, it's basically the first day on your job that has been your dream to get there, and you're basically telling them don't show up, and they feel like that they're going to be able to make a squad, and look, some of them might. But that also could be held against them, even if it's not supposed to be held against them. We know how, how the game works. We know how a lot of coaches and GMs are going to look down on certain guys as, hey, man, this guy didn't even want to show up for, first, for the first day, and this dude's a rookie. You know, he's never even sniffed a down in the league and all of a sudden not want to show up. So I thought that was really not good by the, the, uh, the Players Association to try to encourage them to do that because I felt like that was really unfair. You're telling a guy, I mean, it's almost like giving me a job at a radio station and saying, oh, by the way, Q, hey, we don't, like the rest of the, the staff, Q, we don't want you to do a show today. No, that's not. We're having an issue with the staff. Let's not do a show today. I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I just got here. You know what I mean? Like, give me a, give me a break. And so that's, that's kind of how I look at it. I try to dumb it down so it makes sense to me. And that's how I put it. Man, you can't tell me on the first day of the job not to do the job. Yeah, uh, I agree. And, um, and, and look, if you, if you wanted to, to make the point and, and stress the point, look, this is voluntary, you don't have to go, and then everybody makes the decision on their own, because, you know what, it is voluntary. And right. if you feel comfortable in your position, comfortable enough in your position, uh, and where you are, and your stature, and your standing with the team, and your development, then, then by all means, don't go. It is voluntary. But... <laughs> They're not everybody, the vast, vast, vast majority of guys don't feel that sense of security. And that's right. not a good thing or a bad thing or a wrong thing or a right thing. It's just the reality of life. We're all always competing for something. And we can't just take for granted our position. And so if you, if you feel good about it, if you're Tom Brady, obviously you don't need it. And nobody's gonna, there's not going to be a backlash. You, right. you're, you're good. Aaron Rodgers, you're good. Uh, Patrick Mahomes, you're good. But not everybody is of that stature, and so to, to 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 tell them not to do it, that was where I drew the line. Like you can't, you can you can urge to them, hey, this is voluntary. Keep in mind it's voluntary. But I, I just had a bad, uh, a, just a, a bad reaction yeah. to, to them trying to strong arm him into not doing it. Yeah, I mean, again, and even if you're a rookie, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the players that you mentioned, yeah, those guys, they they don't they can show up when they need to show up, and everything is good. The problem is, if you're a rookie and you're the first-round pick of the Raiders, you're Alex Leatherwood, and you don't show up, okay, you probably get a pass because you're the first-round pick of the Raiders and they're expecting some big things for you for years to come. But if you're Malcolm Coots, who's a third-round draft pick out of Buffalo, you think that it's not going to be looked at and kind of scratch the head like, wait a minute, why is this young man not here, even though it is, in air quotes, voluntary? Come on, man. I mean, you know, a first-round pick, that's one thing. A third or fourth or fifth-round pick, now all of a sudden you're, you're talking about your lifeline where you're trying to do everything you can to make sure you make this roster. You've got to put in the work. It's just no, no two ways about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, we're talking to uh, our, our good friend Q Myers. You can follow him at your boy Q254. Uh, Q, this, to me, it's is a, a really critical stage um, for the Raiders, which is why I am encouraged by the attendance. Uh, over there at Henderson, and there's a myriad of reasons for that. Number one, you've got a bunch of young players that are trying to get better. And as I was you know, explaining to Demond, a bunch of these guys are working for that second contract because guess what? That's really what it's all about from an individual yeah. standpoint. Now, all that hard work individually works out to a collective um, you know, success. Uh, so so it, all, it, it, it all plays into uh, each other. But, but from your perspective um, 
for this Raiders team specifically, how important is it for guys like Alex Leatherwood and Damon Arnett and Henry Ruggs uh, to be out there right now? Oh, I think it's critical. I mean, this team is a very young team. You know, it's something that we talked about quite a bit in 2020, that the team was very young. And, and it's so funny because John Gruden's always considered the guy that wants to roll with veterans. And in this case, he has a very, very young team. I was actually shocked coming out of training camp a year ago that Damon Arnett was the day one starter. That wasn't the case for Damon Arnett, or uh, for uh, Trayvon Mullen. That was, you know, that he, he, he didn't really get in there and was the starter until they were comfortable with him being out there. And he was comfortable with what he was doing. But Damon Arnett earned that job in training camp. At least that's what they expected. And then we all know it didn't really shake out that way. Couldn't stay healthy, couldn't stay on the field, and still think he needed a little bit of seasoning as well. So, yeah, this is critical for the young guys, man. I mean, it really, really is. All the rookie class needs to be there. Uh, all last year's rookie class needs to be there. And, oh, not to mention, you have a new defensive coordinator and new defensive coaches that also you're trying to get familiar with. And I know the, the, the nuts and bolts of your defense is not going to be put together right now in May, but it's a starting point. You know, you start to see a little bit of, and hear a little bit of the blueprint. And it's just like building a house. You start to see how this thing is going to come, come together. It's not all going to be built in May. It's not going to be built you know, in June, but it's going to at some point be created, and now it's, and then it's up to you to go out there and, uh, and do what you got to do. So, yeah, I think the young guys definitely need to be out there. And guys like uh, Max Crosby, who's going into year three of a four-year contract, I think it's great for him to be out there and start learning what Gus Bradley's going to expect because him, he's one of the main guys, like you're talking about, that's going to be working for a second contract. Trayvon Ball is the same. And exactly, and last last uh, observation and question about that and about the OTAs in general and, and the participation in it, trust me, you don't think John Gruden and his coaching staff want to be on some beach somewhere right now? Like if, if, if in a perfect world and they didn't have to worry about getting better and preparing and installing an offense, they'd be on some beach somewhere. Who wouldn't want right. to be? But guess what? Their vocation, their job security is all tied into this. Just as the players job security is 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 tied into getting better and then showing it on the field and winning football games it's all tied into it so the whole notion that this is so harsh on the players who are just they're, they're professional athletes this is their job they've signed a contract to do this if you i demand you know jumped at me uh by saying this but look if you if you don't like it then go to the other league and guess what right. there is no other league this is it this is the highest league you're here and what encourages me is I think that the vast majority of them want to tap into every uh, available tool that they have to get better. I think we're seeing that, uh, uh, Q. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, you have this opportunity. You have a, a, a small opportunity, a small window to get better, regardless of what your position is, regardless of who you are. And I get it. All the voluntary stuff is, is, is exactly that. It's voluntary. But we all know, man, it's, it's, it's just like, it's almost like going out to practice. Like you really don't have to go out to practice and, and really work at it. I mean, people cheat practices all the time. But when you cheat practice, what happens? Then in the game it shows. You know what I mean? So this is just one step in getting better. I mean, for example, you go out to the facility. I bet you on a Saturday afternoon you'd rather be at the house with the family chilling, watching TV, and then all of a sudden, hey, there's a media session. Vinny, you got to be there. Well, you can skip it, and you can listen by based off of what someone else says, or you can be there yourself, take it in firsthand, get your notes, and then be able to, to, to speak on it for the first-hand basis. And that's what you choose to do as a professional. Again, when you're a professional, man, you take every opportunity you can to get better and do your job at the highest level. That's, and that's how it should be. And if that's not who you are, then there's a problem there.
Yeah, absolutely. And that's the other thing I try to remind people. These guys are all type A personalities that got here through hard work and commitment and dedication yep. and discipline that uh, trumps. So, you know, th th there's a reason why they're the top 1% at what they do. It's not just God-given yep. ability. The work ethic is real. So to tell somebody like that, don't go to – that's why I, I, I laughed. I, I tweeted at uh, Tom Brady. He didn't respond. I didn't think he would. But when he said, hey, we don't need this, I was like, what would a 21-year-old sixth-round rookie draft pick Tom Brady tell 43-year-old Tom Brady telling him right. he didn't need OTS? Come on, man. Let's, let's, let's get serious here. All right. So exactly. um, I did a story today on uh, the 2020 draft class and um, who's best positioned – uh, to step forward uh, and, 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 and make a bigger impact this year. As you look at that 2020 class, and there still is talent, and I know that the Raiders still believe in a lot of those guys, um, who do you feel like is best positioned to take a step forward, and who do you think will? You know, it's funny. I think that there's a couple of guys that can take step forward, and, and I'm, I'm really excited about the possibility of Damon Arnett just because I want to see – I know that the Raiders were high on him coming out of training camp. You know that as well. You were there. I, I think that he has an opportunity to be a real deal player. I just think that he needs to be seasoned. He needs to be, you know, kind of uh, taught, taught, taught what they need him to do on an on a every game basis and an every rep basis and just, you know, be stronger, be, you know, be more your head in the game as far as, you know, you knowing your assignment and everything and also being able to trust the players around you. A lot of times when you have miscommunications because you don't trust the guy next to you to do the job. So I think that Damon Arnett has an opportunity to take that step forward. And uh, the guy that I'm also excited about, and I'm not excited about him because I think he's going to get 100 catches and go for 1,500 yards. I don't think that. But I think that Henry Ruggs is also going to have an opportunity to be better because he's going to understand his role a little bit better. I think he has an opportunity to, to also come in and be stronger and know, learn the route tree a little bit better and, and learn how to get both feet inbounds. That's something that he's going to work on. You know, I think, I think both of those first-round draft picks have opportunities to really be special after getting a taste of the NFL, not as much as they wanted to. But I do think that both of those guys have an opportunity to be special. And I really, I'm really hoping for Henry Ruggs to take that next step and really become a big-time factor because if you can make him a consistent threat on offense and not just a decoy but a real-deal threat, if you can make him that guy, that Raiders offense is going to – I mean, it could just really jump out the gym, and that's what I'm looking forward to. In order for that to happen, how many touches do you think minimum Henry Ruggs needs to get next year? In oh, game? man, I Man, per, per game, I'm, I'm looking. I mean, they need they need to feature him. He needs to be featured. I, I'm thinking, you know, five or six, seven passes each game, you know, and and or or not even passes. I mean, just find him a way to get involved. And I think really the key, not even really putting a number on it. How about you just get him involved early? You know, how about you just make sure that you get to him early in the game so he he is locked in and he, he knows that, hey, I'm a part of this, this week's game plan and not just a guy that's going to be running around uh, running sprints. and be, You know what I mean? I think he just needs to be involved. So if you get him on an end around, if you get him on a quick slant, if you get him on a crossing pattern, if you just, you know, take a couple shots uh, immediately with them, just kind of get him involved. Not where it's predictable, but just know that he is an important factor on your team. As much of a factor as Darren Waller is and you know that Derek Carr is going to be looking for him, you want to be able to have that same threat and have that same – thought in the defense's mind that, you know what, they're going to go after this guy and get him involved early. I better be on my A game and not get caught slipping or else he's going to get behind me and it's going to be a touchdown. But right now the defense doesn't fear Henry Ruggs, and it's only going to happen when he gets involved. 
Right, exactly. And, and you know, that's, that's a little bit twofold uh, because part of it is on him figuring out space, figuring out how to get open. There's, a, there's an art yep. to that. Um, also, when the ball is in his hands, making something happen so that it'll be easier for Derek Carr, number one, if he's open more frequently, getting him the ball. And then also right. that you're showing him that, hey, with the ball in your hands, in my hands, I'm going to make something happen. It'll, it'll, it'll feed into that confidence. And that's why I think for, uh, like right now, just right now, those guys being out there uh, over, in, over at the practice facility in Henderson, developing that trust, developing that chemistry to make it just a natural step when you get to training camp and then into the games uh, that, that that will evolve and his role will evolve. Because I'm with you. I, 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 I'm thinking seven to ten touches per game yeah. uh, through the passing games, or at least targets in the passing game, getting the right. ball on some uh, fly sweeps, a couple bubble screens here or there. But the, he's just too good not to get the ball uh, into his hands. Now, defensively, um, we've, we've talked about you know the impact that Trevon Morig uh, could have, and uh, yeah. I think he's in a, a pretty good position to make an impact. Uh, but the guy that I'm really fascinated about, and I can't wait to go see him. Hopefully we're, we're going to be uh, having some access next week. I know it's just in shorts and whatnot, but still, I want to see Jonathan Abram. I want to see where he's lining up. I want to see yeah. how they're uh, utilizing him. From your perspective, uh, where do you think that is headed? Well, I, I'm, I'm interested to see how Gus Bradley uses him as well. I'm interested to see how that, that new defensive coaching staff uses him and what their vision is. One of the things that I said before Gus Bradley was hired, and I think I might have said it to you on the show as well, is the fact that one of the, one of the questions, one of the interview questions, if you're John Gruden, needed to be to whoever he was talking to about being that defensive coordinator is, what do you see in Jonathan Abram? How do you see Jonathan Abram being successful in your defense? What is the plan? And I think that him playing up near the, the line of scrimmage, up in the box, is, is where he needs to play. I think that he is a, a poor man's uh, Jamal Adams to, to kind of you know, put it into football terms. I think he's a guy that has traits like that. Now, Jamal Adams happens to perfect those traits. You know, he just happens to be that thinking good. But I think that he has a little bit of that in him. He's got that – you know he's got the dog in him. You know he wants to be that dog. He wants to be that alpha guy on the defensive side of the ball. He just has to learn his role and, and not be out there confused and not be out there just kind of throwing his body out there and, and being reckless. He needs to have a controlled rage, you know, just get – Get a, you know, get in the right position and make the play. If he can do that, he could be a really good player. This is a huge year for Jonathan Abram. He's going into year three, and I know he's got a fifth-year option as well. But I'll tell you right now, if they had to make a decision on Jonathan Abram about picking up his fifth-year option right now today, I don't believe they'd pick it up. I, I highly doubt that. So he has a huge year ahead of him where he's got to show that he is that first-round pick that they got just a couple seasons ago, even though he missed his rookie year with being injured. But He's got some big shoes to try to fill. He's got, he's got a big role he needs to play. And I think Gus Bradley's going to have a, a plan for him. So I'm very interested to see in how Jonathan Abram plays. But I do think uh, you'll see him up near the, near the line of scrimmage in the box uh, in that Cam Chancellor-type role more often than you'll see him uh, in the back end. Yeah, I can't wait to see it. I think he does have uh, the necessary skills uh, set uh, and traits to excel uh, in that position. He just needs to get a little settled down. Um, yeah. And and that, that refined role and 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 really like you said in Jamal Adams's case, uh, become an expert at that and then become one of the right. best players at it. I'm not saying that that's where he's headed, but he has some of the similar uh, uh, talents. And again, like you mentioned, yeah. that fifth year option is looming. And right now, dubious that they pick it up. 
It's why young players need to be taking advantage of every opportunity, every second yeah. that they have available to them to get better. And it's good to see that a lot of them uh, are, are you know, eating that advice. Go ahead. Real quick, I, I also wanted to tell you that Malcolm Coons, the third round pick out of Buffalo, that's a guy I'm excited for as well. And maybe I'll fall for banana in the tailpipe, but I just think that this dude has the ability to be a situational pass rusher and really give the Raiders a little bit of juice. We talked about it last week. Give them a little bit of juice off that line of scrimmage when needed. You know, just called upon and, and could be that pass specialist. Get, the, get in there, pin your ears back, and get after the quarterback. That is your job. Well, I agree with you, and um, I used to have this conversation a lot of times with Les Snead, the Rams general manager, and talking about an exceptional trait that players have. You might not be very good maybe in some of the other areas, but you can get by and then build off and, and, and improve in other areas. You can get by situationally if you do have an exceptional trait. And I've watched every second that I could possibly find of Malcolm Kuntz um, you know, on, on YouTube and whatnot. And the dude, to me, and I'm, I'm with you, I don't want to fall for the uh, banana in a tailpipe uh, trick, but that guy has an exceptional trait, Q. Um, it's yep. not just, he didn't just outrun people to the quarterback at a lower level. He outthought people, out-technique yep. people, out-fundamental people. He understands how to get to the quarterback, and it's an ex- he's built himself into having an exceptional trait. Yeah, exactly. You know, it was funny. Right after the draft, after they selected him, I went back like you and looked at some some films, some highlights of what he was able to do. And then I reached out to a young lady, Rachel Lindsay. She covers Buffalo for the Buffalo News. And she told me that straight up. Everything you just said, like, it is not just a bull rush. He's got a spin move. He's got a stutter step. He's, he's doing things to make the offensive lineman think about where he's going. And once you think, as you know, Vinny, from covering the league as long as you have, the minute someone starts thinking is the minute they're a second slow. And if you're a second slow, boom, someone's by you. It doesn't matter what position you play. You're a thinking man, you're a slow man. And so Malcolm Koontz has those traits where he makes you think about what he's going to do because he does have so many different tools on his tool belt. And, of course, we all know he played at a lower level in Buffalo, but I don't care, man. A guy who can get after the quarterback is a guy that can get after a quarterback. And, again, with all the skill sets that you said, that you mentioned, that he could do the different tricks of the trade, and I, I believe he's only going to get better as a student of the game. I don't think you know as much as he knows right now coming from Buffalo, unless you're a student of the game. With him being that guy, I think he has an opportunity to be really good. And even if it's only in a situational pass rush uh, capa- uh, capacity, that's okay, you know, because that's what the Raiders need more than anything right now is a guy that can find a way to get home and get to the quarterback. I'm going to put words in Q's mouth right now, and I'm going to then agree with exactly what he says. I'm saying, he's saying, and I'm agreeing with it, six to seven sacks for Malcolm Coons this year. And Before anybody kind of like laughs at that, like, oh, that's not that much. Coming off the bench, if the Raiders get six to seven sacks yep. for Malcolm Coons, that will make... I'm telling you right now, a world of difference. Because then you 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 add that to what Ngakwe is going to do, and Max Kel or Max Crosby is yeah. going to do, uh, and and the new defensive line or defensive tackles are, are going to do. All of a sudden, that starts adding up, and it makes a huge difference. Q, thanks so much for spending some time with us in the huddle. Always a pleasure. You know that. Uh, thanks for the uh, insight and uh, the enlightenment. We will talk to you down the road, my brother. Absolutely, my man. I appreciate you, man. You guys keep doing what you do. You, do, you too, you too. That's Q Myers, uh, our very good friend. You could follow him. Uh, let me get the I, – I need to make sure that I say this correctly because I don't like to give anybody's wrong digits. Uh, at your boy Q254. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur.
We're back in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor. This is Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. Good Raider Nation. Welcome back to Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. On a Tuesday, you're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. I want to say thanks again to Q Myers and, of course, uh, Solomon Thomas earlier uh, for uh, for coming on uh, to talk about his new career here in Las Vegas, his restart uh, here in Las Vegas uh, with the Raiders, uh, but also his foundation, uh, which is trumps everything uh, else. Uh, but I'll say this um, about the football end of this. Uh, it, I'm really, really, really curious about what Solomon Thomas is going to be able to bring. Um, this is a former... Third overall pick in the draft. And, um, yeah, that was the Patrick Mahomes and Deshaun Watson <laughs> draft. So, uh, okay, 49ers, um, you know, not sure what you were thinking there. And that's not to take anything away from Solomon Thomas, uh, because coming out of college, if you put the tape on of Solomon Thomas, there was just an explosiveness and tenacity that he played with, there were times where it literally looked like he was being shot out of a cannon. That's how fast he was getting off the line of scrimmage, into the backfield, and causing all sorts of a disruption. He looked to me like a, you know, a little bit lesser of an Aaron Donald. Like, like his speed and tenacity and ability to get behind the line of scrimmage was Aaron Donald-esque. Um, I don't know what happened in San Francisco. And, you know, there's been some spurts. There were some spurts. There were some glimpses. Uh, but for whatever reason, he wasn't able to put it together on a consistent basis. He's now with the Raiders in Las Vegas uh, with a fresh start. Uh, he's going to play for one of the renowned defensive line coaches in NFL history in Rod Marinelli. Go check out his track record. Uh, so I think he's in the right spot with the right coach and affording, being afforded the, the right opportunity uh, to really get back on track. And, you know, in talking to people that know this more than I know this, uh, the fact that he's going to be um, zeroing in on that three-technique defensive tackle position almost exclusively, it sounds like, rather than when he was up in San Francisco, kind of getting moved around the line of scrimmage, being utilized over here and over here and... Um, you know, it, it just basically he was being played out of position too often uh, and, and in ways that didn't allow himself and the Niners uh, to really tap into everything that he brings to the table. And on top of that, he was also playing with some really good uh, defensive linemen as well. Let's not uh, forget who the 49ers for the bulk of his career there had. Um, you know, uh, at defense on the defensive line. So, part of it also was just that he was playing with a bunch of other good players too, and uh, maybe the opportunities weren't you know there uh, as a result. So, I think what the Niners were trying to do, because there was so such an overload of talent along that defensive line at one point, uh, DeForest Bruckner, uh, Bosa, um, the the kid from this uh, from the Kansas City Chiefs who came over. And then there was, uh, I'm, I'm, I'll get, I'll get it, I'll get get that depth chart, chart. But it was really, really impressive. Uh, if you give me a second, um, and so what, what ultimately happens is, I think what the, what the, um, what the 
49ers were trying to do was just get him on the field in a bunch of different places in, in relief of a bunch of other good players. And unfortunately for him, he wasn't able to, to really maximize at one position or settle in at one position. I'm going to take a look at that, uh, that defensive line that he was playing with um, here in a second. So with the, whereas with the, with the Raiders now, I think the thinking is there's going to be one position that he's going to play. It sounds like it's that you know, three technique. And they're going to let him do what he does best from a position that he plays best, the position that he played uh, in, in college. And um, if he's able to maximize that, then the Raiders might have a pretty good player. And I'm kind of fascinated to see um, you know, what, what that's going to look like. It was DeForest Buckner, Buckner uh, Eric Armstead, Nick Bosa, and uh, I forget who the other uh, defensive end was uh, on there, but it was a stacked defensive line. And so, you know, uh, he's coming to a team that obviously doesn't have th- that caliber of, of, of depth or, or, or uh, starting four, and I think he's going to get his opportunity. So I'm really fascinated uh, about seeing where, where, he can, where he can take it, and sometimes a new start is all you need. Not expecting him to be an all-pro player, but if he can be more like the guy uh, that was at Stanford than the one that was kind of being used all over the place in San Francisco, maybe the Raiders stumbled onto something. And, you know, again, you mentioned Rod Marinelli and now this defensive coaching staff that have a really good track record of being able to utilize guys. Um, It's it's interesting. Uh, And it's good to see him out there in Henderson. We keep talking about that. you know, you look at that Raider roster and how many of these – it's so funny because Q mentioned this. You know, John Gruden has this, has this um, sort of narrative about him as only playing veterans. And, yeah, he did in, in, in Oakland. Uh, his first go-around is a very va- uh, veteran-laden team. He went to Tampa Bay. It was a very uh, veteran-laden team. And, and as a result of that, he kind of got this um, narrative written about him. Like he only wanted to play – you know, older players. But in both cases, you know, when, you, when, when it's just all veterans like that, you can have a short burst of success. But if you're not, you know, doing right by the drafting or if you're forsaking a bunch of draft picks to go get veteran players, eventually that, that might get caught, that might ca- uh, catch up to you. Whereas I think in his second go around uh, here with the Raiders, I think what he's trying to do, what the plan is anyway, is to really create and build a young foundation that the Raiders will be able to continually build on. Uh, In the NFL, it's hard to keep things together. It's darn near impossible because of the salary cap and and all the implications uh, of that. You can't pay everybody is the point. So you're always in this constant mode of, Sometimes having to graduate some guys and say goodbye to some guys, not because you want to kick them out the door, it's because it's just not financially feasible. And the good teams are able to play that game, and it is a game, and you have to be really good at it. And that game is knowing when and who to say to, to kind of let go and move on from, collect the comp- uh, comp- compensatory draft picks that you get back in those in those instances and use those to continually replenish and to draft and to develop. Um, you look at the teams that have a lot of comp picks, what does that mean? That means that guys are leaving their building 
to go other places to sign new contracts for more money and going on and then and then being credible players with the teams that they that they sign with and, and, and play with. And then the team that lost that player gets a draft pick compensation as a result. There's a lot of good teams that always have a bunch of those comp uh, compensatory picks each year. The Raiders want to get to that point. They want to be able to be in a position where they're saying, we're okay with saying, hey, it's not going to work out here. Um, we love you, but you're better off going someplace else financially than what we're going to be able to offer you. And oh, by the way, you know, what the Raiders can then say is we're comfortable in doing that because we feel like we have a good plan behind the player that we're losing. The Rams, I talk about that all the time, have sort of gotten to that point. If you remember, when the Rams first came back to Los Angeles, they were like 3-13 and 13 or 4-12. and 12. It was like something ridiculous that first year back in Los Angeles. They looked like they were 20 years down the road. But if you were covering them, you understood there's some good young talent here. It's just taking a little time, and they need to, you know, replenish a little bit and go get, you know, this part and that part and get them to a point where now it's working. And then it needs to get to a point, and it has, where you're graduating players, the Corey Littletons, the John Johnsons, um, there's, there's a bunch of others, because you've been doing a good job of drafting and developing behind them. And that's really where the Raiders are also trying to get to. You don't just get there. There's a process to get there. And you have to be committed to that process because the key to it all is building through the draft and developing those players. The, the, the trick for the Raiders and the difficulty for the Raiders was they had to do it almost across the board at so many positions. And that's hard to do collectively. But if you stick with it, you're going to get to a point where you've developed some solid, a solid foundation across the board, across your roster. So that, and backups too, because now you're drafting for depth. You're drafting, you know, just last year or this past um, draft, you know, people are on Twitter like, oh, so they drafted a guy for depth? You're, they drafted a guy that's not going to compete for a starting job? And I'm like, well, that's because there's three good players that are starting right now at those positions. But guess what? Those three players aren't going to be here forever. So yes, you, if you, it's great when you're in a position where you're not drafting for instant starters all the time in all rounds. Yeah, your first round pick should be a guy that you figure is going to be able to plug in at a position and to play at a pretty high level. But those second and third round picks and fourth round picks, just because when you draft that person, you're saying, well, we're going to develop them, and right now the plan is for them to be a special teams player and come along. That doesn't mean that's the plan for them long range. It's the short-term plans. We'll figure out a way to get them on the field a little bit so that they have an impact, but we got some pretty good players in front of them right now. It's fine if he doesn't start. Uh, oh, but if there is an injury, we'll feel comfortable in, in, in being able to plug this player, and this is what the, how the good teams think. However, there might be a next year, somebody might go. We might move off from somebody, you know? The guaranteed money for a certain player might be running out or another guy's contract runs out. But we're okay with letting them go and not being desperate to sign them back because we drafted these two guys in the third round the last couple of years that we feel comfortable now are gonna be able to get that, take that job and, and do it well at a high level. That's what you're doing. So don't get 
you know, uh, don't twist it when, when the comments about a draft pick initially is development, special teams, uh, depth, because that's just the immediate plan. And, and if you have good players in place as your starter, that's a pretty good plan because those guys aren't going to be here forever. And you need to have somebody in the development side that's really good, that has good traits that you're honing and developing, and so that when somebody graduates and moves on in free agency, boom, you have somebody in place to replace them. That also helps you avoid having to spend all a ton of money in free agency to plug a bunch of holes because you didn't draft well and you didn't develop well either. It's a key to this whole thing, and I think that's where the Raiders are trying to get to. It takes some time. It can be frustrating. There's some growing pains. It doesn't happen overnight. But if they can get there, all of this, the frustration, um, the process, will all have been worth it. So we'll see. But I think that that's the plan, and that's why I kind of I have to like shake my head when people are saying, what's the plan? The, th this is the plan. <laughs> You draft, you develop, you create a, uh, a foundation, and you continually build off of that foundation. And the whole, obviously, you want Henry Ruggs to be a home run guy that you signed to another contract, to a $100 million contract because he deserves it. You know, and Trevon Moore, guys like that, that, that you're looking at along those terms. But not everybody is going to be that. Just what you hope is you get, you maximize everybody throughout their time here and then selectively move on from cer certain guys, get the comp pick back for that guy. You know that you've been drafting well behind him and developing well behind him because you got a good coaching staff that teaches and understands that end of it. So it's all working and you keep, you keep replenishing. That's the goal. That's what the good teams do. You're in the huddle with Vinny Bonsignor, brought to you by Tequila Ibarra. Interact with the show. Text Vinny at 69187 or tweet at him at Vinny Bonsignor. This is In the Huddle with Raiders beat writer Vinny Bonsignor on Raider Nation Radio 920 AM. First time I heard this song, HT, the body rocker, may he rest in peace, died in a car accident uh, back in the 80s. A DJ in Ventura, California, HT, the body rocker, Howard Thomas was his name, and um, <laughs> there was this station, and his dad owned the station, and it was like, for years, it was like this country station. All right, and whatever, you know, and he, he convinced his dad, he said, Dad, I'm telling you, man, we need to make this an R&B funk kind of a station. And it was like, I think it, it emanated from like Ojai, California. You, you had to be in very, very close proximity to be able to listen to it. But for us in Ventura, growing up in Ventura, we were able to get our fill of funk by this little station up in Ojai, thanks to HT, the body rocker, Howard Thomas, and... So he plays the song. It had just, just been released. And I'll never forget. He's like, all right, man, I'm going to have to play that one again. And so he just played it. And he played it probably about five straight times. And we were all tripping out on that, on that song. What it sounded like, it was so unique. 
um, which obviously Prince embodied uniqueness and uh, groundbreaking type music and just brilliance and genius and everything. Uh, but I'll, 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 I'll never forget uh, uh, HT's reaction to that, playing, uh, playing that song on that little old station uh, in Ojai, California that we all grew up listening to. And we had one dude in, all, in the whole city, in the whole region, that, uh, that understood funk and gave us our funk. Um, and so uh, I'll always love uh, Howard Thomas uh, for that. Like I said, rest in peace, my brother. Um, you, were, you were one of the true originals. Uh, there's no question uh, about that. But we're talking about the Raiders, and we're talking about OTAs, and we're talking about um, the importance these next couple of weeks, really, for this next month. It started this week in Phase 2, which is a, which is a week long. Um, you know, as I explained yesterday and probably today, you're not allowed to, uh, you can get on the field, offense can get on the field, defense can get on the field, John Gruden's out there, uh, uh, Gus Bradley, all the coaches are out there, there's, there's full-on instruction going on for the first time since, really since the season, um, and the first time we've had this element since 2019, remember all of this was completely sabotaged by COVID-19 last year, uh, so this week, Offense is out there. Defense is out there. Um, they're able to get personal instruction and, and throw the ball around. And, and, you know, they're getting things done this week. Well, Vinny, did you next, get what I sent you from ESPN.com? Uh, no, I didn't see that. Oh, Dan Graziano, he wrote a piece to start this week, how we're, I just got to be the treader defender, I guess, just one last time before we close out the show, how some teams have decided to change their, their second phase, you know, training programs. Maybe like trim, make, trimming it down from the second week, from two weeks to one week, or just maybe not have, or just like taking out something that they did plan on doing and not doing it so much. When, you know, ESPN contacted several NFL teams, they didn't want to look like they were caving to the NFLPA. So some teams are keeping it hush, but you can read in between the lines and see some teams' dates changing or what they're not going to be doing throughout, you know, this phase of OTAs, and I think that's more of the issue where the where the players' association has to start so high just to get a little bit of work done. And this is not every team uniformity, but it is just a couple of teams throughout the league. You know, if you can get like ten teams to maybe think about what they're doing, you know, in these OTAs, I think that's that's a semi win for the players' association, and that's why J.C. Treader has to ride so hard for what he's doing because when you get that little bit of progress. You know, maybe that's what you wanted all along because uh, I don't, you know, maybe, you know, you know that you're not going to get OTAs, you know, just thrown out the window altogether. But then you can get maybe it's like, hey, you know what? We won't like run this hard during this, this like during this first week when we come back. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's that's all fine. And, and, and each team, not not everything is uniformed. You know what I'm saying? Like every team does things differently. Yeah, you said that. Yeah, I gave a couple of examples of teams, you know. Good. And if, 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 if teams, you know, do that and, and teams generally do that anyway, you know, there, there's always, like I said, most teams have a leadership council uh, for, for the, for the out oh, when I was covering the Rams, uh, they sat down with, with, um, and believe it or not, John Gruden has always been a proponent of this. Remember Lincoln has talked about this in terms of giving dudes days off during the season, not running them into the ground. They were doing this way back without, you know, n- not practicing with the pads, not getting after it every day like other teams were. So, you know, the Raiders were, or, or John Gruden was intuitive enough even back then to understand the importance of the battle of attrition that football is and knowing when to ease up on the, on the gas. But here's the thing. Not every team is in that, is in, not every team is a veteran-laden team. 
Not every team, you know, uh, is established. You know, there's teams like right now where the Raiders, I think the better, the harder they work now, the better off they're going to be because they're there in, the, in that whole structure. I have no problem with, with leadership from players on each team going to their coaching staff and sitting down with them and mapping out a plan that works for that particular team. Um, and, and I think that does actually happen. It, 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 it happened with the Rams when they, 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 were, they changed their schedule, the way they did things after sitting down and listening to their players. I think that's healthy, and I think that that should be needed. But it just, if, if that was the case, why hide behind COVID-19 like they did early on? I, I just, then, then say that, then articulate that, and, and be honest about it. I'm not saying that everything is perfect, and there's always you know, um, a chance to be better. But isn't that the point of a union? Like, let's say if three players have a concern about COVID, the union should have, you you shouldn't have to come, hey, I'm player number 25 on X team, and I have a concern. Then you go to the union and voice that concern. Because if player number 25 just comes out of the loan, then you you have to, like, take the brunt of that. That's why you have J.C. Treader. The way the owners have Roger Goodell, the players' union, the players' association, they have J.C. Treader. I know, and that's what they spent an entire years negotiating down to last. Yeah, but summer. I feel like when, like, let's say, like when the owners want to make when the owners want to make something happen. Let's say if Roger Goodell comes out and say something, you don't go after just like I feel like you're not going to be burying, you know, Roger Goodell like this hard. It, it's just like because give me an you example. That, that's not true. That's not true at all. Give me an example, and I'll tell you how what I think about that decision. You can't just blanket statement that I wouldn't criticize oh, Roger Goodell. Making a blanket statements. What's you just said? You don't think that if Roger Goodell came out, you would the, criticize? I'm trying. I'm trying to. Do, the ipso facto is just that you do this for just the coverage of of said players that use the union. That was what a union does. It co- it covers the shield. It's the shield for like the voices of a few. Is that not what a union does? Yes, but also and I keep reiterating this, there was a time and place really for that. They, they literally, this, this, this deal was just negotiated. Yeah, if you don't like just it, just walk it, away. How about, yeah, if those, that, that small majority of players, let's say if it's a 10%, how about we just send that 10% pack and you got it. I, it's, it's a free world if they, if they, if they aren't, I'm not saying that, uh, I, I, them trying to, the, the Players Association, it backfired, obviously. It backfired with, the player from the Denver Broncos, and it's obviously backfired because a bunch of players are saying, "JC, uh, we're not in agreement with what you're with what you're saying." I don't for think that's so e- much of a backfire, but let's say for you know that major that percentage of teams that have like changed their off-season workout plans, like just the schedules a little bit, it's not so much backfiring. I think I think that it is working, not according to plan, but it is just working a little bit for the players' association that they feel like their voices are being heard more. Their voices are always heard. Everything that happens in if the you NFL. Ask, if you it, ask these players that, I don't think that they agree 100% that our voices are heard completely all the time. So where they do have to give this pushback, so it does seem so extreme that they can just get a little bit of relief. I, I, don't, I, 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 don't, I think I, I, that there was a time and place, A, for that. It was during the negotiations. Everything that, uh, uh, Demond, everything that happened last year, from every protocol every safety procedure that was in place, every social distancing um, agreement, every practice schedule, the lead-up, the walk-up, the ramp-up, 
how many practices were allowed, how many uh, uh, padded practices were allowed. Everything was negotiated between the union and the play and the uh, and the and the owners. It was never. You can't just make a sweeping decision without coming to an agreement with the players first. And this, the schedule, how OTAs, the amount of OTAs, the time on the field, all of that was negotiated in the last CBA agreement, which was just not even a year old. It's not even a year old. So, um, you know, if teams want to do that, te- that, those, that that's fine. Stop if complaining player- and fall in line. We get it. That's not what I'm saying. And you know that that's not what I'm saying. You just said that I would criticize. I wouldn't criticize uh, Roger Goodell. I criticize Roger Goodell all the time. There's things that he's done and said, and and uh, that, that I don't agree with. Not all of them. Some things. Some things I absolutely uh, am fine with. But yeah, I'm not being pro this, pro that. I'm being practical. There is an assigned agreement. There was no need to try to force some boycott on a bunch of young players who obviously have told. J.C. Treader, no, dude, uh, we don't agree with you, and nor and, and nor should they. This is a this is a free country, and they have every right to make the decision that works best for them individually. But I appreciate your feedback, Devon, even though you are wrong. <laughs> You're that, the that's not disagreeing. Okay, it's your show. <laughs> Well, I think that there's some elements that you're wrong at, and I'm, and, and I'm, I'm glad that some teams are, are making changes. We'll see about, about all that. But again, to me, and I think most coaches will tell you, this isn't about making players happy. It's trying to get players ready and trying to prepare players. And everybody's job is on the line, from the coaches to the general managers to the players, everybody. There's nobody that's abs- ab- uh, above... Uh, scrutiny. There's nobody whose job is above scrutiny. Everybody is their vocation, their job rests on their performance and how successful they are from coaches to players. And that's just how it works. That's the real life. You're in the huddle with Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. I want to say thank you to Damon Cotton for his great thoughts and uh, banter. Uh, thank you to Solomon Thomas for joining us, uh, talking about some really, really important things. Uh, and of course, uh, Q Myers, our good friend, uh, stopping by in the huddle. We're back at it. Not tomorrow. Um, believe it or not, I'm just going to full disclosure. I finally got an appointment uh, at the DMV. <laughs> After a year living here, going through COVID-19, I got so much I got to take care of that I got. The only time I could get in was tomorrow at 4 o'clock. So wish me luck. I'm going to the DMV. As a result, I'm taking tomorrow off. We'll be back at it Thursday, 4 to 6 p.m. in the huddle. Vinny Monsignor brought to you by Tequila and Bahadur. <laughs>